And he said, I understand what's happened in the past. I know that you were abused as a child. I know that you've had an alcohol and drug problem. I, I know that you've gone bankrupt a couple of times. I know you've gone through a couple of divorces. I know all of those things about you, but I still say the way you see the future is more important than what has happened in the past. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. Today, we have a message from Zig Ziggler himself on dealing with hardships in our past, overcoming them, and progressing on to success. From the clip we posted on my Facebook page at Agent K Miller, and you're welcome to go friend me there and join these weekly discussions, but we posted this question, what is something bad or challenging from your past that handicapped you, but you have finally overcome? And if you have something that is still handicapping you and you are struggling to overcome it, please share that as well. Well, people did. We received incredible comments that Michelle Prince and I talked through. Well, let's start it off though, by letting you listen to this message from Zig Ziglar. I'm really talking in this session about hope. Alfred Adler, the great psychologist and psychiatrist, made this statement. He said, hope is the foundational quality of all change. No hope, no change. John Maxwell put it this way. If there's hope in the future, there's power in the present. Hope is the great activator. The student with no hope of passing won't study. Why bother? I'm going to fail anyhow. The salesperson with no hope of making the sale won't make the call. I mean, what's the purpose? I'm not going to make a sale anyhow. The couple whose marriage is in trouble won't seek counseling because, I mean, why bother? Hey, this is a done deal. It's all over now. But give that person hope and then action will take place and exciting action uh, will take place. Dr. Tony Campola says that your past is important because it brought you to where you are. But as important as your past is, it is not nearly as important as the way you see your future. The way you see your future determines your thinking today. Your thinking today determines your performance today. Your performance today has a strong bearing on what that future is going to be. Now, Dr. Campola was saying, yes, your passion is important, but he said the other's even more important. And he said, I understand what's happened in the past. I know that you were abused as a child. I know that you've had an alcohol and drug problem. I, I know that you've gone bankrupt a couple of times. I know you've gone through a couple of divorces. I know all of those things about you, but I still say the way you see the future is more important than what has happened in the past. Today is a brand new day. This is the day that you can make the decisions that will make such an incredible difference in uh, your life. Again, from that message from Zig that we posted on my page at Agent K. Miller, what is something bad or challenging from your past that handicapped you, but you have finally overcome? And if you have something that's still handicapping you and you're struggling to overcome it, please share that as well. Well, here then, Michelle Prince and I talk through just some incredible comments. Okay, Michelle, so to this question, what is something bad or challenging from your past that handicapped you, but you have finally overcome? 
Uh, and then the second part that I said is if you have something that's still handicapping you and you're struggling to overcome, please share as well. And we had a little bit of a range. I think most people came at this with the, Hey, here's something I struggled with that I have gotten past to some degree, though some, as you'll hear, you know, they're, they're still getting past it. They've made some efforts. So there's still a ways to go, which I think is the case probably for, for all of us. And then actually I'm going to end with one. It's a little bit of a longer story, but of a guy who's saying, no, I'm in it right now. Mm. And so we'll see what we can offer for that. Sounds great. Um, Okay. And some people gave a name. Some people I actually had some people private message me on Facebook and say, you know, I don't want him to give my name here. So just do it anonymously. For sure. So, uh, I understand first that. one is anonymous. And she says, uh, her struggle, her handicap is narcissistic parents, uh, a father who was an overt narcissist and abusive mentally, emotionally, and physically, and a mother who was covertly narcissistic and deals with abandonment issues from her. And she says, I have overcome these, but not without inevitable ripples into the next generation. Hopefully not to the extent of my damage, but that's subjective depending on the very individual makeup of different people and how trauma affects them. I thought that's insightful. Very. I mean, I mean the fact that she's aware of, of, I mean, that's a big challenge, right? I mean, much of our, much of who we are is because of our first family and, you know, to have those kinds of role models that weren't necessarily positive, that's tough. But the fact that she knows about it and is willing to work on it and get over it and be aware of it in other relationships is probably going to stop the cycle in future generations. I think so too. And I, I sometimes, okay, so I'm not an alcoholic, but that, you know, the, the AA type thing of saying once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And I think some people debate about that and they like to say from a faith-based standpoint, no, I can be free. Mm -hmm. But to some degree, yeah, when I look at at her, I mean, to grow up with narcissistic parents and to grow up with that, that is, that is a, that's a reality that is, Mm -hmm. I mean, it just is, you can't get rid of that. And I think, uh, you know, sometimes it's somewhat folly to try to say we're disassociated with that as opposed to saying like an alcoholic would No, I'm always, that problem is always going to exist that I have to, let's get it on the table and call it out so that we can deny it, walk away, go the other way, as opposed to trying to pretend it's not really there. So I appreciate her saying that, that it's, it's going to be there. There's going to be ripple effects and I, I've grown to be a fan of, yeah, let's, let's acknowledge it mm-hmm. and, and, Deal with it face on. Well, and, and this is a little unique too. It's similar to abuse as a, to a child. I mean, this was not something that she did to to create, you know, whereas in some cases, alcoholism is something that, that is created by, you know, drinking. Sometimes True. it's hereditary, but you, whereas this, she had no control over who her parents were. So similar to somebody who's been abused, they, they you have no control. So it's a decision of, okay... I can't change my past, but I can change my future. And what am I going to, how am I going to refocus and make my, my future better than my past? Absolutely. And we, gosh, we have so many examples of that. We just did an interview with Mandy Harvey, the renowned singer who is deaf. We did one not long ago with, um, uh, Weinmayer. I just blanked on his Eric, Eric <laughs> Weinmayer, the, uh, the, the blind guy who, who, uh, went to Mount Everest and did many other things, uh, who is blind. So yeah, things like, like as you said, they didn't choose those no. things, but they're looking at them and saying, well, I've got it. What do I do with it? Which of course, classic Zig message. We can't uh, change the past. We can change how we deal with it. 
Um, well, so Jerry says, uh, I started playing piano at age 26. It was enjoyable, but quite difficult. As the years went by, I could play at home just fine, but not in front of an audience. After about eight years of forcing myself to play in front of other people, every chance I got, I broke through the wall and I'm now comfortable and confident at the keyboard. I also noticed that my fears in other areas of life were significantly reduced. Hmm. Well, this is something, Michelle, boy, it was either the last show that we did together or the one before that, or I think we got on that topic of, of it's kind of a little soapbox for me, the no fear mentality that I just have a hard time believing as opposed to the, no, I fear it. I'm scared of it, but I'm going to do it anyways. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I really see Jerry attesting to that. Now, even though he does say that today, he is comfortable with it, but I think we even have stories of some people who never get to that comfort level, but they still do it anyway so I, I do like that point. i do Hearing too it, doing it anyway well and the, and what he was saying about the piano is that, is that he had to work his way through it and it sounds like the fear is really more stemmed from being judged or what other people think mm. because the fear of not being able to do it in front of other people there there's something there but I, something that he said though was his fears in other areas started going away mm-hmm. too so it's just amazing how fear is really you know as Zig would say false evidence appearing real it, it doesn't mean that what what we think is going to happen will happen, but we're so paralyzed by that feeling of it. Uh, but, but when you push through it, and, and I think it was our last show, Kevin, we said, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a book title. It, it's so, so true. It may not feel good, but when you get past it and when you overcome it, there's that feeling of, you know, wow, I did it. And it sounds like that's how Jerry feels. I do too. And yeah, I like that you pulled that out, that it made him comfortable in other areas of life or help reduce his fears in other areas of life, which brings us to, and folks, you guys can go back to this show 484 we did with Joshua Spodek. He's an astrophysicist, a professor at NYU. He's the author of Leadership Step-by-Step. But in that show, I, I really, I didn't even go into his overall message as much as I went into a blog that he wrote that was titled uh, SIDCHA, S-I-D-C-H-A-A, and it stood for Self-Imposed Daily Challenging Healthy Activity. And I'll tell you folks, out of the out of the interviews I do, there are certain things that stick with me. That's one that has become part of my vernacular because what he went in and did is he talked about the power of really just what Jerry did. So Jerry wanted to play the piano. He was afraid to do it in front of an audience, so he made himself do that. He did not have to do that. Now, we may be afraid afraid of going to a job, but we feel like, okay, I've got to do that. Those, that's a got to. It's different. He says it's, there's even more power in the things that we actually don't have to do in the training of our brains. Again, it, 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 I, lo- I love the message. So if you ty- type in Joshua Spodek, S-P-O-D-E-K, and Sidcha, S-I-D-C-H-A, you'll find the blog. Uh, of course, you can go back to show 484 and listen to that. But I love Jerry talking about that and testifying to that, that as he did this thing that caused him fear that he did not have to do, how it impacted the other areas of his life. I'd love to hear about some of those other areas, but it just brought me back to this reality I got from Joshua that I never thought about. It's really changed my paradigm, Michelle, as I think about, okay, it's one thing to do the things that I, I need to do uh, that I'm, I'm fearful, but what are the daily deposits of things that I make myself do that I don't have to now knowing that it's it's even more strengthening brain training. I love that. 
acronym. Love it, love it, love it. And self-imposed, that is so, I, I love how that's, that's worded because, you know, we do a lot of things during the day and, and many things that we feel like we have to do this, we have to do this. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah. really, who, who's, who's making you other than yourself? Uh, and in, yeah. in some cases, yes, we have responsibilities, but, you know, that could go on the good side or the bad side, Kevin, right? There's self-imposed things that we do that may not be good for us. <laughs> And then there's self-imposed things that we do that are good for us, you know, and I I just love that acronym. Well, he got, and he got, I'll have to call him out. He got popular for some record of how many days in a row he did burpees. Uh, And if anybody's (laughs) not done burpees, you can go look it up online. It's kind of like jumping down, doing a push up, pop up, jump in the air and go back and do them. And the the joke there is, and actually Timothy Ferris, uh, the four hour work week guy with a huge podcast, he kind of made those famous and he actually talked about Joshua in the show where they talked about it. Cause in his line was nobody, I mean, nobody likes burpees. And I I just laughed because I I went through a time period of doing them every hour. I would, I would do 10 of them throughout the day and I never liked them. It was always, it was terrible, but I had Joshua in mind, you know, that's the thing that nobody has to do burpees, but you make yourself do that. It's gotta be, it's gotta be. For us, uh, non burpee people, uh, the, the thing that I think of when I hear that analogy or that acronym is. I think of all the people who write books, you know, because that's the world mm. I'm in. And so many times we say, well, I'm going to write 3,000 words this week, or I'm going to schedule two hours today, and I'm just going to write. And But who's making you do that? It's just because we have a goal, yeah. and when you back into it, and but I love it because that means you're disciplined. Yeah. Well, my gosh, and, and going to, you know, the re- daily renewing of our minds mm-hmm. and the morning, re- morning routines is getting to be such a bigger, there's seldom anybody that we interview here in the zig show that we don't where we do the habit show and we don't hear that they have a specific morning routine getting up earlier than you have to to spend that time that you don't have to yeah again that's what i loved about joshua it wasn't only about okay because during that time i do xyz and those things add up to whatever he's saying that's great that they add up to whatever but even aside from those the bigger benefit is just getting up and doing what you don't have to do awesome so there you go big call out to joshua there well so tim here says his issue was my birth defects. And he actually posted a picture of him as a kid. This is on the, on the Facebook page with the, uh, his legs in braces, you know, kind of the old metal braces like Forrest Gump. If, if folks have seen that, it was kind of that thing. Uh, also, and now he shared, he said, this is TMI. I'm going to share it anyways. He says, along with my messed up legs and, uh, and then the removal of his right testicle at the age of 12, he says, it just destroyed me internally because I never faced the truth of what that meant until later in my life. But then God showed me that he was, he had been training me all along for when my friend later in life had his testicle removed due to cancer. Uh, my misery became my ministry eight years later. I still struggle, but I got a glimpse of God and his purpose. Uh, and he actually said, maybe that's too much information, but you ask and I'm going to share my testimony. Well, you know what? I never think it's too much information because every everybody has a story that can impact. Somebody is listening right now that is going to say, wow, I'm not alone, you know? Yeah. Um, and I did see, I did see Tim's uh, picture that he posted and, you know, it, I, I just, that's, that's the whole point of this show is that no matter where you start, things can change. You know, you, you can change the ending and it, it just, you know, it really just boils down to the person you are and what, what you're committed to and what your drive is and all the things that Zig teaches. Yeah. And, and, and it, is it Zig's statement? I should know this, that it's uh, it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what mm-hmm. happens to you. Is that absolutely uh, okay. right? 
There you go. Which is so flippant and pithy to say. I mean, we got to stand here and say, okay, we can all nod our heads to that. Most people have heard it. It's kind of pithy. It's different when you're the one there with that issue Mm -hmm. happening. And guys, I I understand that my wife just went through a second car wreck in three years. Second time she was a victim of somebody slamming into the side of her. uh, And it was not her fault. And she's had to deal with that. It was a struggle for her to go kind of a why God, Mm -hmm. you know, literally why we both did it together. Even to the point of for her to be hit again, it, it, she was already compromised uh, physiologically and well, even psychologically for that to happen again. We we're like, why, why not let it happen to me? I've never had that. Why, why, why did that? Well, I don't know. I don't believe God caused it, but I got to believe that he allowed it. Mm-hmm. And what do we do? What do we do with that? And we all have aspects where we're going to be victims. I think that's what you're talking to Michelle, mm-hmm. that a lot of these folks who posted here, these are things this is, yeah, different than alcoholism or something like that. This is not a, a self-imposed, self-inflicted type thing. These are people who had literal victimization. They, they were victimized, but we all have that. We all have stuff that's happened that is not under our control. What do we do with it? And I think that's where we have to hold on to faith. I mean, and, you know, and remembering that, you know, all things do work together for good. And, and you know, yeah. just because something bad happens doesn't mean it's not part of the plan, although it doesn't feel good for sure. And there are certainly people yeah. that have experienced way worse um, you know, than us or, or some others. But I, I just, I love well, the perspective though of people like Tim or other people that have not had a great start, but d- realize yeah. that they can change that. Okay. Well, let's get, let's get, can we get spiritual yeah, here for let's a second? Do it. <laughs> all right. Cause you just, you know, cited the scripture of all things, you know, all things work together for good. Uh, and we, that's one that I think people, you know, that people struggle with mm-hmm. because they feel like, well, they didn't work together for good though. If we look at the scripture and this is, so here I'll admit another soapbox that we have so much of the scripture that we use that really, when you look at the full scripture, it's an if then state statement, even that one, all things, uh, will work together to those who are called according to, to God's purposes, God's will, depending on your translation. And that is one where I can expect that those things can work for good if I am, in this sense, seeking my heavenly father. If I believe that there's a bigger reason and, and you can take this to your different, different beliefs, it's hard for me to look at that one outside of a, of a Christian, a Christ-based belief, but it can work uh, if, and that's what I think that we see with these. We did a, a show recently with Skip Pritchard, who uh, has his new book, The Nine Mistakes, and he talked about, again, one of these stories that really stuck with me, Michelle, that as a kid, his parents wanted to go into ministry. They instead had six kids and felt like, well, we can't take them. You know, it's harder to travel with them. We'll make our home a ministry. Started bringing in people, the down and out of society in their city, bringing them in to live with them. That's what this guy grew up with, Skip grew up with. And he got to see why people who have been victimized, who have really bad circumstances, you can take any two of them. Why does one of them then finally overcome and achieve and overcome that thing? Uh, it is redeemed and somebody else doesn't. And that's what he goes through in, in his book, the book, the nine mistakes is some of the, I guess the traits of those people. So that is what we're talking about here. So these things, we all have things that happen to us. Uh, what are the ingredients that can help us overcome as opposed to being overcome? And it's hard. It is hard. Very hard. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. Well, so here Bill shares, he says, the negative imagery and fear my father brought me up to believe. It caused me to live a life of fear and paranoia 
for too long as I didn't know how to break free from that way of thinking. Well, yeah. how many people relate to that? Mm-hmm. Um, and he, well, and you talked, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, going back to the first family, I mean, so much, yeah. so much happens in our, you know, when we're, when we're little, when we're young and we have no control over it. And, uh, you know, helping people write books, I hear a lot of stories and there's a lot of pain and a lot of suffering that happened at an age when it was, they had no control. And so as hard as that is, and as awful as it is, it's, it's, it's like with anything, it's a choice. What do you do with it? Right. Um, somebody's pain can be seen as, oh my gosh, my life will never go on because I had this situation happen to me. Whereas somebody else will say, I have to go on because this situation happened to me because now I need to help other people to not suffer. And so it's just, it's amazing to me how the stuff that happens, but that it boils down to a choice of what we do with it. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I was just sitting here thinking, I mean, obviously for Bill here, as for many people listening, number one, it's just becoming aware how many people never become even aware of this stuff that is handicapping them. Uh, So having awareness and then being able to get it out on the table. And I like the word of denying it, of saying, okay, I know you exist. Now I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not going to act according to you, this stuff, this handicap. But then uh, the retraining, which we keep coming back to the brain training, the retraining of ourselves, which is Again, that was that was it. We get up every day and we we retrain that. But I, I like that term that you use. I've never really heard it, Michelle. First family. <laughs> I mean, talk about your upbringing. But I, I like that. We talk about it so much. I just had the the opportunity the other day to sit down with one of my kiddos and to say, "Buddy, if you haven't realized it already, or already, you're going to realize that I, I'm nothing special. I'm just some guy trying to figure it out." And I hope that I give you good in your life, but I'm going to give you bad that you're going to realize. And hopefully we can talk about it together and I can help you. My wife likes to joke somewhat about, hey, we will pay for your therapy. Um, well, I'm so glad you yeah. brought that up because that actually, I was just thinking that it, you don't even have to have gone through something heavy to have had things that happen when you were younger affect who you are. And yeah. I'm, you know, I don't mind being vulnerable and sharing. And most people who know my story know, I mean, I, I definitely in my younger years was a people pleaser. And what is people pleasing? Really? It boils down to fear. It's fear of not being accepted on who you are. So you feel like you have to be somebody else for your parents to accept you, your friends to accept you. And, you know, I was so caught up in that and I had amazing parents, but you know, things do happen and things get, passed down from generation and fear is by far the biggest, but it manifests itself in so many different ways. Mine was people pleasing. Some other people's fear might be, you know, addiction or other people could be, you know, low self-esteem. There's just so many manifestations of it, but fear, I just keep hearing it over and over again from the people you're bringing Mm -hmm. up. It's, 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 it's huge. It's at the core of most of us. You're okay. The people pleasing thing, which you and I are, are, (laughs) unfortunate kindred spirits. And uh, so listen to this. This is what Joshua writes. He says his, his deal, his handicap was fear of success, fear of not meeting a standard or expectation. Falling short is the first uh, step one takes in becoming extraordinary. We, we are all extraordinary. We just need the right perspective or guidance to believe it. Once that happens, our potential is limitless. Uh, well, thank you for that. But yeah, that fear of success, fear of not meeting a standard expectation. I, and, and kind of to your people pleasing, you know, I had such high expectations. So my parents, Dan and Joanne Miller, a lot of people know them, incredible parents. 
And this wasn't anything wrong that they did, but it's something I had to deal with later in life is realizing they had such high expectations for me. I was a people pleaser. I wanted to meet those. And that became my self image. I had to be better. I had to be bettering. I had to be Superman. (laughs) And it took me until well into my forties when I realized I am not, and I can't be, and it is wearing me out. And this is not headed for a good place. And that was, it shouldn't have taken me that long, but it did. That's so Uh, common. And I'm the exact same story, Kevin. And, and, you know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with parents now being a parent that want the best for their kids and have high expectations because kids typically will respond to whatever expectation high or low. Right. But it is tough. It is tough. And I've carried it. I carried that through most of my adult life as well. Um, it's, so it's, but we're not alone. I know that. And in talking to people and people yeah. aren't listening to this, you know, it's such a huge problem for many people. It is the whole self image thing and positive affirmation stuff. We can go too far with that. It's really called me into question as a parent. Yeah. Am I doing that with my, with my kids and thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Okay, well, here, here's an interesting one. Scott, he says uh, his issue has been was the ability to accept himself. Uh, many others told me most of my life I wasn't the size I should be. Literally, he's talking physiological size. And um, it took me going into an environment that the only thing that mattered is are we going to eat and are we going to make it through it, uh, a.k.a. the military, to realize that the rest was just petty stuff. Mm. Uh, for others out there that may not sound or look like everyone else, tell yourself or someone, uh, that makes fun of you that you would take a bullet for them and they will see you in a new light. Wow. Uh, what yeah. great and, and perspective. He said, he said PM PS I am much larger now. <laughs> I was just a late, <laughs> I was just a late bloomer. Um, wow. That's, that's a significant, uh, paradigm shift to put yourself, you know, it kind of reminds me of that aspect of if you're depressed, one of the best things to do is to go, find someone else in worse shape and serve them to get us out of that. My wife talks about that, that when she is not involved in and serving other people, she gets into her terminology as the navel gaze. Mm. She's just looking at herself and she knows she falls into that. So she's got to make it part of her diet to make sure she is turning away from herself to other people. Uh, that's her, her own medicine there. And that's what I hear from Scott. My gosh, what a, a uh, significant thing. A lot of people who have been in the military are going to relate to that, but gosh, what a, what a paradigm shift. Absolutely. And you know, even if you're not in the military, the, the, I think that's just inspiration for everybody that just because you look a certain way, or maybe you, you know, have a certain, I don't know, you know characteristic about yourself that you don't like, doesn't mean that you are not perfectly and wonderfully made and, mm-hmm. and good enough just the way you are. But you know, especially as young teenagers, that's really hard to get your arms around, get your head around when everyone else looks a certain way and you look different. Yes, that's a really hard one. Yeah. Well, Kimberly here, she says, I was arrested as a teen. At 47 years old, I still have to disclose this on job applications. Wow. I have not been in trouble since, but I still have to explain it. It's so embarrassing, uh, but I don't believe it has ever kept me from getting a job that I know of. Mm. Uh, that's all she left. So I don't know if that's an overcoming story. Or that's just a reality of something that happened that she has to, has to deal with. 
Well, it sounds like she has to overcome it on on a pretty frequent basis, whereas many of us make mistakes when we're at that age and can move forward, right? Um, But that's, wow. But but what that tells me about her is that she is strong and she has the ability, if she can overcome that, she can overcome anything and know that, you know, this too Mm -hmm. shall pass. This is just part of it. And it's not going to hold, it doesn't hold her back, which many people that might hold them back and maybe they don't go out and apply for jobs or they just give up. Mm -hmm. So that just tells me how strong she is. Well, and I have heard that from other people who have had, let's call those. Well, you you talked about the victimization aspects of somebody who had a, you know, born with a handicap or something like this. This is different. She did do something. Mm -hmm. She self-imposed to a degree. And we have a lot of people like that. We see that. It's, of course, headlines a lot of these days with different scandals that happened or somebody who had an affair or somebody who uh, had a a problem with an addiction or with something unethical, which happens to good people who are still good people, and they fall, and yet then they have to live with that the rest of their lives. And we have far fewer success stories in that light when I think it is that ethical, moral failing. It's so hard. To get past. And what you're, as you're talking, I'm just thinking, I mean, that's, that's really salvation, right? I mean, none of us are, <laughs> are without something that we've done that we are, we need to overcome. I mean, because we've, we've all fallen short. So, but getting our, just that acceptance of that and knowing that, you know, yeah. nobody's perfect. There's only been one. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. Yeah. You know, we still have that propensity to think that, to think the thing that we did is the most shameful mm-hmm. Uh, for whatever reason, we think that's just, that's again, our nature. And we've got to, like we talked about, get it out on the table and deny that sucker. Mm-hmm. Well, Kyla here, and this one's really somewhat of just an admission uh, that she says, again, kind of like Kimberly, she's just dealing with. She says, it seems ridiculous to so many people, but we had a surprise pregnancy within days of getting married. I had never wanted mm-hmm. kids. I was always aimed at a grueling career. I spent the entire pregnancy feeling like God said, sorry, I know I gave you huge desires, but you're not going to be enough. So I'm putting you on the bench. Stay at home. Uh, it was heartbreaking. And even the first year of my daughter's life was spent struggling and wrestling with God. Some days I still do, but I'm learning to trust him again and that he has bigger plans for my life than I do. It's still a daily task to keep my mind in a healthy place with the whole situation. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, I remember when I first found out I was pregnant, it happened a little sooner than we expected. And I do remember the shock of being like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I have this great corporate job and, and all that. Uh, I I joke about it all the time, but I think there's a reason why God gives you nine months because it takes that long to Mm. come (laughs) be okay with the idea that you have a little person about to come. Mm -hmm. What I think of, though, for Kyla is it's a season, and the season of raising kids is so short. And, you know, with my oldest about ready to leave the nest this summer, I'm realizing how short 18 years really is. So her season is coming, and sometimes God is preparing you in a season which feels like an eternity, but he's preparing you for something so much greater than you could have ever done in the season that you were planning on. So... I don't know. I, I, a good friend of mine actually just wrote a book, and she's launching into this huge, amazing career. She's in ministry. She speaks. She does all these awesome things. And guess what? She did not get to do any of that in the first few seasons of her life because she was raising kids and then grandkids and all mm-hmm. that. So there's just not an age limit for, for that time for you. It's not over. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll have to share that. My own wife, uh, Terry. Let's see. She just turned 48 
it must have been two years ago, 46. So we have, she, we've had seven, we have seven kids biologically. So she gave birth to seven wow. children. Uh, she, she homeschooled uh, them for a lot of years and finally got to a point of going, okay, new season. And she, kids, we put the kids in school between private and public schools uh, that they're in. And she went back, got her master's degree and has now started on her doctorate and is working in the field that she wants to. And at the age of 48, let's see, I think it happened last year before she turned, she she turned 48. So 47, she was published in the first scientific journal. Um, And she hasn't even gotten her doctorate yet. And so to see that fruition after all that time. So there's some hope. Uh, for those who feel like they're in the spot of Kayla, which, yeah, it's, it's also kind of goofy for me to speak with. I'm a guy, okay? I've never had a kid, and I can't totally relate. Well, but through my wife, I'll give that testimony. And one last thing I'll say about that and the timing and the seasons yeah. is I think of Zig. I mean, Zig's career did not really take off until he was in his late 40s. So think about that. I mean, that his career, I in fact, I have to do that for myself. There are many days when I get discouraged and I think, gosh, I, I should have accomplished more by now. And then I think, no, wait. I'm 46 years old. I'm ex- almost yeah. exactly the age that Zig's career started to explode. So we, yeah. we, I think have, we think it has to be a certain age, but it really doesn't. And, and our biggest days could be ahead of us. I, I do. I love that. The Zig that we know happened in the last 30, 35, yeah. even further years of his life, even the pictures. I think sometimes people see the younger pictures of him and they don't really recognize him. They know the older picture. That's when that's the Zig we know. That's the Zig who touched 250 million lives and, and growing. So yeah, I do. I do. I do love that one as well. All right. Well, Michelle, this one, so folks, I'm going to read this and it's a little long, but it was, I think it struck a chord with me because I do work in the health and wellness industry significantly. I'm really invested there and deal with a lot of people who are in the midst of chronic illness and disease, which is rising at an incredible rate here in America, especially And so I think a lot of people will relate to this and he does not wrap it up. This is something he's dealing with uh, right now. So I'll call him Mr. M. He uh, asked to be uh, remain anonymous. He says, I wanted to comment on the question you just posted. I had seizures as a youngster and was heavily medicated until about five years ago. Since then, I haven't had any seizures, but I've been dealing with horrendous insomnia ever since. My sleep patterns have been so chaotic. It's been hard to hold down a job very long. Uh, ditto for sustainable self-employment. I'm very capable of hustle and work ethic until I crash and burn hard. At this point, long-term sleep deprivation has really taken its toll. My cognitive resources and mental well-being being have really declined. I was once a straight-A college student and even went on to a competitive Ph.D. program. I recently had some brain imaging done. It looks like there may be some head trauma that explains a lot of this. Not good news. It's hard not to feel like a victim of this or that I now have an excuse. But at the same time, I've been so hard on myself for supposedly being lazy and unfocused and lacking fortitude. At this point, so much of my life has fallen apart. Finances, physical health, relationships, you name it. And I'm utterly overwhelmed at what it's going to take to rebuild. I'm sorry to unload all of this on you. I don't expect you to read it on the show or provide any solutions, but I don't have a lot of positive, supportive forces in my life. It would mean a lot to get a few words of encouragement from you and your co-hosts. Uh, finally, like I said, through all of this, I've kept hope uh, that a better life or freedom is still possible if I don't give up and keep feeding positive messages into my brain. Uh, last one, uh, well, and he testifies to us and says, thanks so much. He's been meaning to reach out, keep doing uh, the good work. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, um, I, can I just say first and foremost, mm-hmm. the fact that Mr. M, I wish I did know your your true name, the fact that you reached out is huge because when we're, everybody gets in places like that where we're discouraged or we're down and out and, and some for physical reasons, emotional reasons, all different kinds of reasons pull us down into a pit, but it's not until you reach your hand up that you can get out of the pit. So I mean, I just have to give kudos for that, even if it's just, you know, through this show. But there is support. I mean, there is support for so much of what you're describing. There are, there are, you know, I, I know one thing about sleep. I don't know necessarily your your actual condition, but my, my husband has a sleep business, sleep apnea business. And I know that sleep disturbances are one of the biggest problems in people's lives. But there is hope and there's help and there's people out there that, that can help fix that. So that would be my biggest suggestion is... Don't do this alone. There is somebody out there in each one of these areas that that can help you. And maybe they're not in your inner circle right now, but they will be if you reach out more. Yes. Well, I want to speak to that, but I want to ask you about something else. I want to back up a second, Michelle, because what what Mr. M here says where he – you know, really tried to not have, he didn't want to have excuses. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't want to feel like a victim. Uh, but at the same time, he's been hard on himself as for being supposedly lazy or unfocused. And yet there was a reason. Okay. That's something that is near and dear to my life right now. I have an older son who had seizures uh, as a kid. He had epilepsy and it was a long, long journey to the point of almost, we, we had him in the hospital to have surgery, to remove a portion of his brain. Uh, There's a miraculous story there, and the story we've always told is, and he's well and and great today. However, um, he's he's not totally. And I have always fallen hard on that side of, I don't want my kids to have labels Mm -hmm. because we tend to, you know, acquiesce to those. So we're not going to give them labels. We're not going to give them limitations. We are right now turning that corner, just as Mr. M here talked about and having to realize that, no, he has some, he has a handicap to a degree. Now I know we could all say, Hey, we all have a handicap. Right, right, right. Okay. But the, on, on the actual, you know, physiological, here is something that just like uh, Eric Weinmayer, you know, he's blind. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, he cannot see period. So he has to put that out there and say, that is a reality of his life. What is he now going to do with it? And in his sense, he's better off doing that than saying, I'm not blind. I'm not mm-hmm. blind. I'm not blind. So, so there's the, so I've been more in that world of no, 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 I'm not going to claim that label. I'm not going to claim that weakness or whatever. And now say, no, I, I need to. So there's a, there's a discussion there. So I really appreciate this being brought up uh, here because I'm living it right now. Where we're having it with my son say, no, you're going to have to, I think we're going to have to accept this, this label. Now though, what do we do in response to it. So I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, Michelle, that's a new one for me. Cause I, I, and I still am sensitive to the labels that we give Absolutely. Our, our kids or each other negative and positive. Cause we tested a minute ago to sometimes those positive ones of, Hey, you're an overachiever, you're high expectations. You can do everything as baggage Absolutely, too, because we all want to act like everything's so perfect and our kids are so perfect. Yeah. And, but, but the truth is it, and when something you just said, Kevin, about even your son, recognizing that there are certain things that, that maybe you can't overcome, 
like everyone else. But this is where I just really am big on support groups or people that are going through something similar, you know, reaching out to other people who have had the same situation, the seizures, I mean, like your son, but what are they doing now? Because you may not be able to compare yourself to every other person in your inner circle, but you know what? There might be somebody else out there who is going through or has gone through exactly what you're doing and going through that they've overcome it in their own little way. Um, but the more encouragement and support mm-hmm. we get, I feel like it's when we're alienated and we don't have people that understand our situation that the, it becomes darker and darker and darker. And, uh, you know, anyway, I had a situation like that even with one of my kids when they were younger. And it's like you feel like you're so alone until – and you keep it to yourself. And then all of a sudden you start talking to people and realize, oh, gosh, this isn't as bad as I thought. And there are people out there that can give hope and encouragement and inspiration. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, great thing to, to point out. And, you know, with that, the the overcoming, that's a term that I think also has some baggage because – Obviously, again, let's pick out Eric Weinmayer. We can talk about him. Uh, he, did he overcome his blindness? I mean, he's still blind, but he did figure out how to manage his dysfunction. I, you know, along with my, my wife does cognitive testing. She was working with my son and talking about an area that he was bad. And she said, hey, let me try it on you. She tried it on me, and I was even worse. Uh, it had to do with auditory processing. And she, this happened, I think it was uh, two days ago. And she said, oh, my gosh, how on earth do you do interviews? And I, I took her through my little methodology of where, you know, I have all these different things. She says, wow, you've really learned to manage your weakness here. So, you know, again, I like that, that it's sometimes we can get caught up too in thinking that we have to, well, like we talked about with fear, that you have to get rid of it. Well, maybe you just figure out how to do it amongst that as well. But to something that you said earlier, and I told you about this at the beginning of the show, Michelle, when we were talking um, folks, in show 525, we interviewed Lee Cockerell. Uh, he was the executive vice president at Disney, over 40,000 employees, incredible story of, of success and achievement. And yet he got into the interview. I, I was not prepared for I didn't. I didn't have this as part of the interview, talking about that at age, I believe it was 62, 64, uh, which was only you know, six years ago, something like that. His wife almost died. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think it was cancer and she, I mean, she was on her way out. They thought that was it. Uh, now she ultimately recovered, but it put him in such a tailspin at that age. Here's a guy who was king of the world, put him in a tailspin into depression that he did not understand. It took a lot of counseling, psychotherapy, everything to figure out that it, what it had done is brought him back into an abandonment issue from his early childhood. And so today Lee Cockle, and he talked about it openly on the show he regularly, every week, uh, gets counseling, psychotherapy, and he's on some meds. And he just shared. They said that's how he's dealing with it. But the, here's the point, and this is what I'll offer to, 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 to our guy here, Mr. M, is he said he came to a point of realizing I'm stopping everything. My job now is to get mm-hmm. better. My job now is to get better. And I, and I just thought about that so countercultural. We generally have these things happen to us. We have these issues we're dealing with, and we just try to figure out how to do the things we have to do, how to do the job, how to do the parenting, how to do the schooling, how to do the whatever uh, amidst that thing instead of also taking a time or, or taking a, a certain amount of time saying, no, my job right now is to get well. And so, you know, with Mr. M, with what you're talking about here and having uh, issues in dealing with all these different areas of your life, Maybe something to think about. Have you have you taken on to the, the the job for you right now? Your full time gig is to get is to get well, is to get better, is to deal with this. And like you talked about, 
uh, Michelle, yeah, there are things for this area for epilepsy, for cognitive training, for sleep issues where you can dig in. There's so much work being done. And maybe giving yourself the, the permission to serve yourself, to care for yourself, to feed into yourself, to nurture yourself. I couldn't agree more. And just to add on to what Lee was saying, I think counseling in almost all situations is one of the best ways to really process Mm -hmm. what's happening because you may not be able to change what's happened, but you, you can certainly process it and and have a new normal and have a new perspective. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what I really hope for, for, for Mr. M here. And, but just to know you're not alone and, and that everyone, although this may be specific to you, Everyone is having is dealing with something, and the more you reach out, and again, if you're in the pit, the only way out is to put your hand up and, and ask for help, which is what you're doing. So my hat's off to you, and I am just so grateful that you shared that story with us because I guarantee you there are plenty of people listening that can absolutely relate to it. Yes. Okay. I love your statement. I'm tempted for that as the subject of this, of this show, the new normal. Um, <laughs> we all want to find amongst the stuff that happens to us that we can't deny. We want to figure out a new normal uh, amongst us. Michelle, always a gift to do this folks. Thank you so much for, for these. And, and again, people, uh, the, they're posting these just on my, um, on my personal Facebook page, which is agent You guys are, are welcome to come over there. We keep growing in not only just the number of comments, but obviously I think the depth of them. So thank you for sharing and allowing us to, uh, gosh, to bless ourselves by thinking through this, but also to put this out because I think for every posting, you can assume that there's 5,000 people listening right now who are going to absolutely relate and be blessed by what you had the courage to share. So thank you. Thank you all. Thanks, Kevin. Friends, if you are celebrating obstacles you overcome, here's to you. If you're now thinking about some obstacles you want to overcome, here's to you as well. And I hope you found some inspiration to take action on from this show. Coming up next in show 549, we talk with Patrick Lencioni, one of the most sought-after corporate speakers and influencers on the planet. He has 11 best-selling books, but his latest is just tremendous. It's titled The Ideal Team Player, How to Recognize and Cultivate the Three Essential Virtues. Now, folks, either we want to hire the ideal team player for our team, or we want to be the ideal team player that is sought after and desired by a team. And I'll give it away a little bit. The three essential virtues are humility, hunger, and smarts. But that doesn't really give it away. Is you need to understand the context that Patrick gives us to put those pieces together. Patrick, he's just an authority on human dynamics, especially in the workplace. It was just an incredible conversation. He has an amazing story that sets him up to be the innovator that he is in this space. Well, till then, thank you for walking with me as we inspire our true performance together.